Welcome to the Pelvic Pulse Podcast, where formally off-the-table topics take center stage so you can feel comfortable, confident, and free in your body. This podcast was born out of the desire to share the intimate and necessary conversations about one of the most ignored, abused, and suppressed areas of our bodies, our pelvises. Not sure where that is? Let's put a finger on it, shall we? I'm your host, Brittany Ellers, holistic pelvic physical therapist, womb worker, and educational speaker and advocate for all things pelvic health. My hope for this show is that it enlivens listeners like you to take steps towards healing your own relationship with your pelvic space holistically for fuller embodiment and a more loving human experience. So when you're ready, let's take a deep breath and dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Pelvic Pulse podcast. I'm sitting here with Summer. I'm going to let her introduce herself um, and share a little bit about what she does, because honestly, you are you've got a lot on your plate, a lot of skills to share. So whatever you want to start with. So my name is Summer Jimenez. I am firstly a mom of four. They're all grown now. So all my kids are in their 20s. My oldest is 23. I have twins. They're 22. And then my youngest just turned 20. Um, I'm a birth doula, a postpartum doula, childbirth educator, lactation educator, um, a Reiki practitioner, a yoga instructor. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just got my 200-hour yoga uh, certification at the end of last year. And then I just finished up a prenatal and postnatal yoga certification. Um actually I finished it uh in France <laughs> in France it, it was online so when we were on vacation I had some time on the plane and I finished up the last little bit on the plane oh my gosh um and in October I'm going to be doing the um have you heard of the body ready method no yeah body ready method um certification which is for birth workers and it's more about the anatomy and knowing because everyone, you've heard of spinning babies and all these techniques, these things that your doulas can do to help you when you're in labor. And the body ready method is more about kind of understanding the why. Why would we put a mom in a position that opens her knees more or puts her knees closer together? Um, and I love I love knowing all the whys, which is what, <laughs> why I have all the trainings and everything I do, because like yoga that comes in to prepping the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and keeping everything pliable and moving and being grounded and also like helping the mom feel good in her body during pregnancy, but also like postpartum. And so I like, I like knowing all the whys Yeah, and I feel like you can't ever know enough. So I'm constantly like, how can I, what else can I learn to help my moms prepare for the birth or in the birth or to help, um, keep them feeling good in their body and in their mental state once they become a mom. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, you have to. Oh, and I do placenta caps like. Oh, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Again, master of all trades, like right there. Oh my gosh. Well, how did how did you get into all of this work, like from the beginning? So I don't know if you know this. My mom was a doula. Oh my gosh. Yeah, my mom was a doula, and um, I have always been fascinated with like pregnancy and birth. Um, so I was. Like I would beg her to like whenever she had to meet a client at her um 
Dr. Yagoda was my mom's OB. And so a lot of her clients saw him and I would beg to go to the appointments with her. And he always had stuff to give me and like little magazines and books and stuff. So I've always been fascinated with birth. Um, so yeah, literally like my whole life, I've loved birth. Mm. And, um, and then I had my kids really young. So I met my husband when I was 18. And then I was 19 when we had our first and then 21 when we had the twins and then 23 when I had my last. So I was 23 with four kids under four. Wow. And um, so becoming a mom, it's, um, I just, it's hard. Being pregnant is hard. Giving birth is hard. Um, Breastfeeding was really, really difficult for me. And so it, everything kind of like, you know, like you, you start with one thing. And so I, I really was doing a lot of um, breastfeeding education and helping um, other women for a long time because I had, I had no women in my family that could help me. I didn't, um, none of my friends were having kids when I had kids. So I was just like, if I can help mm-hmm. anyone make this a little bit easier. And that's kind of, I think how I've gotten to where I am like what else can I learn to make this easier for another woman because like before we had that I you know what I mean I wouldn't have had to find outside sources because my mom would have known my aunts would have known you know my mother-in-law like people would have known and they would have given me this wisdom they would have been right there with me Mm -hmm. we don't have that anymore yeah so yeah was yeah. your, your mom wasn't nearby when was she not she your doula? doula? She was. She was my doula, but she didn't breastfeed. Ah. And her idea of birth was very medicalized. Mm. So she was a doula, but the way she saw birth was um, you know, and she she did all the tools and the tricks and everything we do to help you along, to help you cope, to keep you comfortable, um, until you get your epidural. But that's kind of how mm. she saw birth was like we we stay comfortable till we get the epidural and then we give birth. Mm. Where when I had my son, so my husband's Mexican. And, um, it really, when I met him, my kind of idea about, um, like birth, well, not just birth, but like in his, with his family growing up, you don't just like, oh, you have a headache. Here's an ibuprofen. Mm. It's like, well, you have a headache because you didn't drink enough water. You have a headache because you haven't eaten and kind of just looking at it and how do we fix these things? Cause it's very right. easy. Like, oh, I have a headache because I haven't had enough water. It's very easy to just drink some water. Um, and so with his influence and then reading more, um, I really wanted things to be very natural. I didn't want it very medicalized. Um, your child only gets to be born once, you know, like it's, it's, it's my birth in the sense that I'm giving birth. So it's like, I make my birth plan and everything like that, but this is my child's birth and the only time that they're going to be born. And I really had this idea of, I wanted the birth room to be quiet. I didn't want a bunch of lights on. I wanted it to be peaceful. I wanted my son to come into a room where the energy, the environment in the room was feeling welcoming and loving and not hectic and chaotic and and kind of like that. So my mom was there at my birth, but I think she um she couldn't visualize what I wanted so Mm -hmm. she came in with the understanding I told her you can come but you know Hugo and I made our son together that was an intimate thing that we did and so we are also going to birth him together this is like our time to connect and and do this really big thing together I want you there 
if I need you, but like kind of keep your opinions to yourself. And, um, and then when he was born, it's the next day, she was just like, I, I didn't know birth could be like that. Mm-hmm. So, and I did end up having an epidural with him. So it's not like, you know, it was, it was a long labor, premature rupture of membranes. So my, my water breaking was my first sign of labor, no contractions. And, um, the hospital let me labor for, oh, I don't know. I think it was like 12 hours or something before they started on Pitocin. And, you know, most of my labor was unmedicated though. I had the epidural and my son was born less than two hours after I got it. So, yeah, but it was just nice. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy with the way that birth went. It was just really cool to hear that from my mom, you know, like that I, my mom learned something from my birth and I thought that was really cool. She, yeah, she actually, um, went to nursing school and she's a labor and delivery nurse. No way. (laughs) So she's a labor and delivery nurse now. And, um, and it's cool. Like I would, you know, to just be part of like getting her to see like that you can have a birth that's not so medically managed and stuff. And I, I feel like that's helped her with her, you know, the way she nurses mm. and it's just, it's cool. Plus it's cool to like call your mom and be like, Hey, I need to like process this birth with you or, or whatever. So heck yeah. To someone who understands your profession for right. sure, you know, right. and understanding what you went through yeah. as a mother multiple times over. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's how I, I got into doing what I do is just, again, always having that interest and then being exposed to birth and, you know, from such a young age and then going through my experience. And I was like, oh, women need help with this. So what can I do? Yeah. 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 What would you say when you, when you are wanting to connect with a woman, I guess, and you're finding out what it is that she needs, like, what is she looking for in a doula? Or like, Mm. what, what would you say women should look for or anyone who's giving birth like what should they look for in a doula um so what this is I don't know I, I got a couple of different answers so, <laughs> we can have them all <laughs> yeah so I, I feel like a lot of times a woman is just scared um I feel like our society has really taught women that birth is a medical issue that needs to be managed and um you know, TV, movies, all that stuff. It's always the woman is screaming. She's in horrible pain. It's the worst thing ever. She hates her husband and everybody. Um, And so that's what women think birth is. They think it's just going to be this awful, horrible thing. And so I think a lot of times she's just looking for someone to help reassure her that things are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, also a lot of women like the idea. So your, your doula is there. They are your support person, but we don't work for the hospital. So that's, that's a big plus because, um, we don't, we don't have like hospital like procedures or protocols or anything like that, that are dictating the care that we provide to our moms. Um, I don't really have anything in particular that, um, like every woman looking for a doula should look for X, Y, Z. Um, I think the most important thing is that this is someone that you just feel comfortable with because birth is so vulnerable. Like, are you going to feel comfortable with this person seeing you naked and seeing you in a very vulnerable time, like naked and possibly like throwing up and crying? 
Is yeah. this, is this person, a person that's going to make you feel safe? Um, that's, I think the main thing that you should look for in a doula, because at the end of the day, most of us all have the same kind of like basic training, totally. right? So I'm a childbirth educator. I know doulas that aren't, that maybe, you know, I know a doula that's like a massage therapist or someone who's like a, a homeopath or something like that. So we all have our, our little things, but basically like our, our basic level training is all pretty much the same. So it's more of an energetic, like a, a chemistry thing, right? It's kind of like when you're dating someone, right? If you go, <laughs> totally. if you go on a yeah. date and you're like, yeah, you seem cool, but like, there's no spark then right. that's not your person that you're probably going to want to end up dating. And I feel like doula is the same way. Like, do, is this someone that's just, they just feel comfortable to me. They feel safe to me. That's really what I think they should look for in a doula. Yeah. It's so interesting because I just saw um, a Gabor Mate quote that said like safety, feeling safe, you know, around someone, anyone, anything like it's not, it's not that there's just like a lack of threat. There's a presence mm-hmm. of connection. Yep. So to really feel that, I think is so important. Like you said, mm-hmm. the spark and having that chemistry and having that safety quality, which is just connection and presence and understanding. Um, yeah, totally love the idea of vetting your people and, you know, shopping around a little bit until you find your match. Yeah. And that's why, like, I mean, even when people reach out to me, they're like, Oh, you were my friend's doula or whatever. Um, I always, I, I tell them too, like, okay, like, you know, I, I'm happy to give you referrals because I know mm-hmm. that I'm not the right doula for everybody. Mm-hmm. My feelings aren't hurt by that. Like there's a doula out there for everyone and I may be your doula and I may not be. And so totally. Yeah. Do you think people, I mean, has this happened to you too, where you're maybe the perfect person for birth, but not postpartum or whatever, if it's like even scheduled. I, I feel like it ends up being the opposite. I feel like mm. a lot of people, um, uh, really like me for postpartum interesting so um and it's so funny how my schedule goes because some years I'm super busy with a lot of births where like this year I've had way more postpartum work Mm -hmm. um so it's and a lot of people like me for postpartum work because they're like well crap lady like you've spent years breastfeeding your kids and like you've raised four kids like you can handle four (laughs) kids you can definitely help me with my one yeah um but, but yeah, I don't just cause I'm someone's birth doula does not mean I'm going to be their postpartum doula. And again, I don't take offense. Like I, I'm like, whatever you're going to feel comfortable in, or sometimes it just is like, Hey, I'm available for your birth, but like, I've already got, you know, cause sometimes people book me really far out. So, right. if, you know, I've had that right. Like I can be on call for your birth, but I've got someone that's scheduled that month. They've like prepaid me like six months ago <laughs> to be, to be there, you know, totally. five days a week for the month of August or whatever. Right. Right. So no, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I'm curious now if you can, because yes, you offer a lot of amazing things, including your childbirth education course Mm -hmm. that you teach with Hugo. I do. We are the only uh, childbirth education classes in San Diego that are taught by a husband and wife team. I (laughs) fucking love that so much. Me too. (laughs) So much. And like, sometimes I have dreams of like James and I, once we get to that point, like following you and Hugo around and learning your things and then, yes, yes, and then teaching for you. Yes, I would love it. I would love to have more couples teach because I feel like, um, and this isn't like a, I'm not trying to talk badly about dads. Um, I love dads. Um, but I feel like the responsibility for learning about birth is put on the mom or it's left to the mom. Right. Um, and I think that again, is just from a, from, uh, 
a lack of the dads understanding what an important role they play because dads, they love their partners. They, you know what I mean? Their wife, their partner, um, they love her. And most of the time, what I hear is whatever she wants me to do, like I'll, I'll do whatever she wants me to do. And that's so sweet. And it comes from a place of love and he's very sincere, but she can't learn about her role and about the labor and the birth and then teach you your role, which is why I feel like our class really has something special to offer because you're going to be taught straight from a dad. Um, and us teaching together was actually on accident. It was, I didn't set out planning it that way. (laughs) Like that, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't my intention. Um, so I did my certification, um, training through birth arts international. And the reason I went with that company is because, um, in doing the teacher training, you create your curriculum. And I really liked that. Um, instead of just like, oh, I'm going to take like a weekend training and learn somebody's curriculum and then regurgitate that. Like, I'm going to be able to like hand pick and, and, and teach exactly what I want. And so when I was creating the curriculum, I was asking Hugo, I was like, what, what do the dads need to know? Like, what, what do the dads need to know? And, um, and in that moment too, I felt like I had done a disservice to him too, because I had never asked him about his experience of our births. Mm. And I'm going to cry, like (laughs) thinking about it. Um, when I asked him, it was just the sweetest thing. I did cry when he, he told it to me from his, his point of view. And then I was just like, oh, I wish you could just teach with me. And he's like, I'll teach with you. I was like, no, like, I'm like, I was just joking. He was no, like, I'm being serious. Like, I'll teach with you. And that's how it came to be that we teach as a couple. So, cause that's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't know what dads need to hear. I don't, I don't know what it's like to be a dad or a partner. Cause not all of our couples are same sex um, or not all of our couples are heterosexual. We do have same sex couples that take our class. So um but yeah, I don't, I, like, I, I know what it's like to be the one giving birth. I know what it's like to support women through birth. I don't know what it's like to support my bar- partner through birth. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I don't know. I think Hugo is pretty amazing. <laughs> A little biased, but <laughs> no, he is even from an outsider perspective. Yeah. I've always like valued that out of your guys' offering that one in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just something really special about having that energy even just yeah. the, of that balance, mm-hmm. right? The feminine, the masculine really coming together and supporting for a holistic um, education, you yeah. know? Well, because that's what you need, right? Like as a woman, you ha- it's birth is like, to me, like the epitome of like the feminine energy. And so the husband then has to be there firm in his masculinity, right? Because we have to like melt and surrender and um, go through this process, right? Where he is going to be there and he's going to be the like strength. He's going to, you know what I mean? Like you're strong. Mm, I don't know how to explain this. Like you're strong in your vulnerability, but he is like the strength, literally the strength sometimes like holding you up literally like supporting your body and everything as you're leaning in um to your labor and to your birth and so you you need both and I think the cool thing too with our classes um I don't know I think again because the majority of of the times it's the woman who is finding the class and booking the class and so we have a lot of dads that come in and they don't 
they don't know that Hugo's going to be there to teach uh, and their whole energy and their face is completely different when they, when they see him. Cause it's like, Oh, like, Oh, so this class is for me too. And that's yeah. kind of like my favorite things is <laughs> to see that shift in them. Yeah. Um, because they think that they're just going to come listen to some lady, like talk at them for, right. you know, four weeks in a row. And right. No, I so. can, I can already feel the sense of relief that they get yeah. from seeing Hugo's there, like presence there. Yeah. And, was, and he's like a construction worker. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. So it's just like, Oh, like, like he's a, he's like a, he's like a, a guy. A guy's guy. Yeah. Totally. Exactly. So yeah. no, I love that. And I was getting imagery in my head of like, if, if the woman was the caterpillar slash butterfly, right. In her transformation into motherhood, it's like the the man or the support person, which it could honestly, if the if the person who's giving birth isn't you know with anyone mm-hmm. and they have a doula, the doula is this person for them, right? Mm-hmm. Is they're the chrysalis, like they're the ones supporting yeah. them, giving them foundation to, or even the branch, like maybe there's yeah. a branch that the, the yeah. chrysalis is hanging on. Yeah, and so I've had moms, I've had I've supported moms uh, who are single. Yeah, um, and. Uh, you know, sometimes I am that person. Like one of the people that I supported was a, um, a really young, she was only 18 single mom. And I think it's so nice now she's having her second baby. And so we've been messaging back and forth and repeat moms are always fun. I mean, first time moms are fun too, but it's, it's cool because your, (laughs) your connection just kind of like you're right back into it. Um, but yeah, and sometimes it is the doula, but sometimes it's their mom or sometimes it's, you know, their best friend or whatever, but you need, you need someone. Mm. And I think, um, uh, you know, not everybody has a doula. I wish everybody would have a doula. Um, and I know, um, I keep saying that I'm going to make a shirt that says doulas are for dads. I haven't done it. I've been saying it oh for like my gosh. five years. I think I'm going to do it. Um, Please because do. a lot of times dads are like, well, I don't want, I don't want a doula because, um, like she's going to steal my job. And I'm like, no, homeboy, uh-huh. I'm really not like. I come in and I'm going to be like emotional support, but not like in us in the same way that a husband is. A husband is a much more intimate role. Like I'm not going to kiss the mom on her mouth. You know what I mean? Right? <laughs> I've never done that. Um, or like, I'm not, I'm not climbing in the birth tub. Even my niece, I wasn't in the birth tub with my niece when she mm-hmm. gave birth, you know, like, um, so and that's the thing. And I talk about it in week two of our birth class, the differences in roles between like the doula, the nurse and the doctor. And then of course, in the whole class, we're, we're talking about the importance and the, and the role of the dad, because you can see that everyone has their own unique role, right? The dad is there. He's, um, he has his role as like the parent and the partner. And that's just a much more like intimate role. Um, the doula is, a lot of things. She is hands-on physical support. She's emotional support. Honestly, a lot of times what I'm doing in the birth room um, with hospital births is um, I'm like the interpreter. The nurse will come in and the nurse will say something. And then, you know, the, everybody nods, everyone smiles and nods. And then the nurse leaves and they're like, what the fuck did she just say? <laughs> so, so I break it down for them. Um, and so that's what I'm doing. And, and, and I, and I'm continuous support. I'm, I'm there the whole time and I stay um, two hours. I usually about the two hour mark is when I'm at the hospital, the baby is going to be measured and weighed, uh, given the vaccines if the parents are doing that and all that stuff. And so at the two hour mark, um, I'm good. I know that baby's stable, mom is stable. We've had that first feeding and then I leave. Um, but a lot of people think that the nurse 
does things that a doula does. They think mm-hmm. the nurse is going to be in the room holding their hand, um, you know, brushing their hair out of their face as they're throwing up. And I mean, the nurse might do that if she's in there when that happens. But for the most part, you're you're not really going to see your nurse a whole lot. And that, that really surprises people. They think like, oh, I have this is my nurse. She's going to be with me. She's going to hold my hand. Um, and I've had people think that the doctor is going to do that. I've had people, especially during COVID, because there's such a lack of support, which I know was, I mean, out of precaution and safety and and stuff, but because there was such a lack of support uh, available to the moms during birth, I had a lot of moms that were really disappointed because they're like, oh my God, I only saw my doctor for like 15 minutes. And they, like, doesn't he care about me or doesn't she care about me? Like, why weren't they here sooner? And um, they were just really unprepared because um, they just kind of confused the role of the doctor and the nurse and the doula and everything mm. gets a little confused. So I feel like, yeah, you just explained it pretty pretty beautifully there I think you know um describing the differences of maybe people's roles and stuff but I guess I'm curious too from your experience like personally Mm -hmm. and from what you've seen um in your clients like are people if if someone had to pick say like Mm -hmm. they were on a budget Mm -hmm. um obviously you'd hope that everyone could receive all this kind of care throughout the Mm -hmm. the spectrum but if they had to pick between this is like a trivia oh, would you have them do the childbirth education class have a birth doula or have a postpartum doula they can only choose one yeah childbirth class i like childbirth it. class i like that because um an out of hospital childbirth class it doesn't have to be yeah. mine. it doesn't have to be mine um what's the difference because in my experience, the hospital classes, um, are, they're, they're really short. Like, I mean, I've, I've known some people that took an hour long hospital class and that's yeah, it? yeah. Or even like, maybe it was like a three hour class or whatever, but a lot of times it's just kind of like, um, hospital policy. And it's just a little bit more on like, okay, when you get here, this is what we're going to do to you kind of, and it, it. it's good to know, like, okay, what can I expect when I go to the hospital? There there's, um, a definite uh, plus of knowing that, but like our classes, um, it's 12 hours of instruction. It's, it's three hours for, for four weeks. Um, so, but with that, um, because you're both together. So both of you are going to have basic information. I mean, I talk about, uh, dilation. Everybody knows about dilation, right? We know that mom has to be 10 centimeters to give birth. People don't talk about, um, the effacement. And, and all the little things, all the movements, you know, the, the cervix going from pointing back to the tailbone to like lining up with the birth canal and going from like hard to soft and all the effacement and all those little things that have to happen before the opening. And so everybody just gets stuck on, am I 10 centimeters? Am I 10 centimeters? Is she 10 centimeters? How much longer till she's 10 centimeters? Nobody's taking into consideration those things, but they're also not taking into consideration where is baby in the pelvis, which is really, really important. That to me is more important than dilation or anything, you know? Um, so just knowing those basic things, I think it's also really important for dads to understand what natural birth looks like, because, um, 
again, they, so many people think that it is a medical issue that needs to be managed, right? So when a mom is in transition, the hardest part of labor, it's just those last couple centimeters, eight, nine, 10 centimeters. Um, it's really intense. It's really intense to watch. So she might be like in full on body trembles and she might be throwing up and she might be crying um, and saying, I can't do this. Typically speaking, that's when moms do start saying like, I can't do this. I can't do this. So then the dad freaks out. I've had dads who thought their wife was having a seizure Oh wow! because the, the wife is trembling so much. And so just knowing like, oh, Hey, I don't have to be scared when these things happen. Or we know that in labor, it is common to have like some bloody show, mm-hmm. you know, dads think, oh my gosh, you know, cause all of pregnancy, like, let us know if you have any bleeding, let us know if you have any bleeding, bleeding's not good during pregnancy. We know that. And then we get into labor and we're like, oh, well, actually like, you're going to have a little bit of bleeding. It's okay. Nothing to worry about. So dad's like, oh my God, she's bleeding. She's having a seizure. Something's wrong. We need yeah. to go to the hospital. And so just having the basic understanding of this is what birth is going to look like through the different phases. Um, this is what mom might be feeling. This is what she might be saying. Um, and then just kind of like having a really basic understanding. Cause I, I can't, can't teach the dad to be a doula mm-hmm. in four weeks, but right. I can give him and the mom a very basic understanding so that they understand, okay, oh, this isn't a medical emergency. Everything that's happening in my body or everything that's happening in my partner's body is a normal part of a normal process. And so if, if I would say if you had to choose between just one of those things, absolutely education and hopefully like a breastfeeding class in there too. Ooh, yeah. So, because I feel like, um, we definitely have way more people that take our birth class than take our bringing baby home class, which is interesting. Yeah. You would think like <laughs> if I, if I have a hundred people taking my birth class, I'd have a hundred people taking the bringing baby home class, but the math ain't mapping when it comes to that class. <laughs> and I think people just think, well, well, breastfeeding is normal, like quote unquote normal or like natural. And, yeah. and they don't understand how, um, yes, it can be some babies, literally you just get them close to the nipple and they latch on and everything is great, yeah. but that's not how it is for most people. Um, most moms, it's really hard and we have to, okay, like what is a good latch? What does that look like? What do I do if it's not a good latch? And, um, you know, even just understanding a newborn behavior, I feel like, again, thanks to like TV and media and everything like that, people have a very skewed idea of normal, like newborn infant behavior. You know, they think that I'm going to have a baby. I'm just going to get them close to the nipple. They're going to latch themselves on with no help. They're going to eat for 15 minutes on each side. And then they're going to sleep quietly, peacefully, not moving completely still for three hours. And then we'll do it all again. And that's not what babies look like. That's, that's not how it goes. And so, um, so yeah, I think education is is really important just so that people have realistic expectations. I think that's what it comes down to is that people don't know, honestly, realistically what to expect. Right, right. Well, so. I mean, because people, I mean, yes, yes, the movies kind of put you in that headspace and then what you might see on Instagram, like from your friends and everyone. <laughs> comparison is like the root of all evil in my opinion oh absolutely it's the worst absolutely but then yeah people people might be sharing but then they're actually not sharing the truth like because maybe you don't even feel like you have this you don't have the um you don't you just don't want to ask you know like 
how is it really going? Or like, tell me the truth. You know what I mean? Like, especially if they're someone, if your friend is pregnant and you're like having a horrible experience, maybe with like sleep training or something like mm-hmm. that. And you're like, I don't want to freak you out, but yeah, this is what I'm dealing with right now. And so like, we kind of, I mean, it's the same thing with birth too, you know, like we forget, like we forget what we go through too sometimes. Right. Just so that we're able to yeah, but well, but one, but, but it's kind of like love is blind, right? Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's it's definitely true, like, the love that you have for your children. Like, you you can, I think it's, well, an oxytocin, <laughs> you know? Like, you can go through it, and it's like, yeah, it was hard, and it sucked, or, or whatever, but baby's totally worth it, right? They're worth the stretch marks, and or just the uncomfortableness of pregnancy and birth and the recovery and all that stuff, the discomfort of breastfeeding and everything. And so maybe there is, you know, memories are a little bit sugarcoated, mm-hmm. but um, I think you have a lot of people that aren't completely honest with how it is because they, um, I don't know what is the right word, maybe like internalize it. Like if I say that this is hard, then that means I'm a bad mom. Mm-hmm. Mm. I feel like that's more of what it is like um, because in America I feel like we have these just absolutely unrealistic expectations for women right like be pregnant and and think about it too like and I know you haven't had a baby but like you work you you work with moms and stuff all the time so when a woman is pregnant all the attention is on her right it's being pregnant is awesome amazing and like oh let me get that for you you need water like oh here sit down like I'll give you my seat like this everything is you're catering to her you're catering to her and because this is a special time and everything and then it's like oh well fuck you gave birth fine you're just another mom like everybody else and like Mm. who cares and and it's just you know like oh my god you're gonna wear a bikini when you have stretch marks like you nobody wants to see that you know and you haven't lost all your baby weight yet oh my god the amount of moms that I have to talk out of exercising in the immediate postpartum I'm like girl like you aren't healed all the way why are you trying to do like jumping jacks or um, I had this one mom who she just, she, and I get it for some, some people, not me, but for some people exercise is their thing. That what, that's what keeps them grounded. It keeps them out of their head. It helps them feel centered, but it's, again, that's kind of like why I want to know about how to help them move in a way postpartum too, because it's not like I want you to sit and wallow and, and feel bad emotionally it's so movement yes but the right movement totally all modification right you know and and that's the thing but we don't have that we just want mom to like okay have a baby you're special when you're pregnant but then as soon as you're not pregnant like I don't ever want to remember that you were ever pregnant so Mm -hmm. I don't want to see you breastfeed in public I don't want to see that you're overweight or or having a hard time like you right. know what I mean it's just pretend that everything's okay and I say in class all the time that Instagram mom is a lie mm. she's cute she's cute she's her house cute. is cute house you know <laughs> kids are cute everything's nice but it's like dude she's crying just like you're crying it's hard for her too you know and right. and even if like you know maybe for this mom breastfeeding is going really well but maybe she's really struggling with the, the lack of sleep where you're struggling with breastfeeding and the lack of sleep you don't really care so it, like even you might struggle differently, but we're all struggling with something in motherhood. And I feel like, um, we would just, it would be a huge benefit to moms everywhere. If we could all just say, you know what, today was a shitty day and it was just really hard and I'm struggling. And, and at the same time, knowing that that in no way affects the type of woman or mother you are, because you can be a damn good mom and still have shitty days 
where your house is a wreck or you yell at your kids or you fight with your partner or whatever it is, but that doesn't mean you're not a good mom, a good wife, a good person. Right. So, you know, what's interesting is I kind of, I, not that this is the only thing that's the problem, but it is part of the problem where women are going into that one and only postpartum appointment, potentially Oh my God, the six week checkup. (laughs) (laughs) And they're told right off the bat, like, Hey, you're cleared for sex. You're cleared for exercise. Go on and write do do the things you were doing pre-pregnancy or while you were pregnant and it's like there's no like easing back into it there's yeah there was just no such thing and I feel like that's kind of the root of it where like all of a sudden you have this expectation like oh I should be able to have sex or I should be able to right go back to exercise a good wife doesn't let you know or good mom well good wife doesn't let babies interfere with sex life your sex life is gonna change it's gonna change talk about that. that it just does like you know or I feel really fortunate in that, you know, Hugo and I have always had a really healthy sex life. Um, and I have been fortunate in that I haven't ever dealt with issues of pain during sex, um, you know, after having babies or anything like that. But, you know, no one told me that I would be having sex and have an orgasm and my milk would just start shooting out of them. Did you know that that happened? No. Yeah. So then it's like, and you know, it's like, okay, so boobs, this is not sexy time. Like you can't touch them. Cause when you're breastfeeding, like not all women, but for me, I had a really, really, like I had an oversupply. And so like he, he would barely touch him and like milk would start coming out. And, wow. and you know, for me, I'm like, okay, well then that takes me immediately out of sexy mom or sexy wife mode and puts me into mommy mode. So, you know, it was kind of like this area, these boobies, this is off limit. This is mommy, right? I'm like, you can touch everything else, but not here. <laughs> right. Or just the fact of like, oh babe, I love you, but I would so much rather sleep than have sex. It's not that the sex isn't going to be good, right? Like it's, yeah. the sex will be fine, but it, I, I would rather sleep or you know what? Like, especially if you have more than one kid, like all the kids are asleep. I would much rather you help me clean the kitchen and, you know, a 10 second tidy on the house so that when I wake up, I can start my day off in a better mood. And then it's just hard too, because you have to everybody's needs are different. Hugo definitely like, seriously, that man would want to have sex with me twice a day, every day. Like if I was willing, like, and so like our needs are opposite. So I'm like, dude, I'm good. Like once or twice a week, like I'm good. You know what I mean? (laughs) So you have to find that, that common ground and everything shifts. And that's what I tell people too. Like you have to, and this is where we don't have it, where it's lacking kind of tying back to what you were saying with that. You've won six weeks appointment. Okay. Everything looks good. Mm -hmm. Like it might look good, but is she, does she have trauma? Right. It is she traumatized? Um, is it painful? A lot of women deal with that. And then the thing that pisses me off is that you have doctors like, oh, that's normal. Go ahead Here's, and take a ibuprofen or take an have ibuprofen a glass or of wine. Have a glass of wine. Um, uh, use lube, which nothing. Ugh. There's nothing wrong with lube. I like it, but right. But that should supplement your own your own secretions, right? right. Like your, your own, own arousal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing too, though. I'm all, oh, yes. we're really going to talk about it. Like if we're going to talk about arousal, right. And, yeah. and that's one of the things that I love about teaching with Hugo. And it's not like we're experts. This is just, I mean, we've been married for, we've been together over 25 years in September. So we've, mm-hmm. we've been together. We've, we've gone through this. And so like, he knows, um, or not so much anymore because our kids are older, but like when the kids were younger, he knew that like, dude, like if I take over, nighttime routine and give her space 
to take a shower or he'd be like, go take a bath or like whatever. Like he knew he was much more likely to get it that night because I had time <laughs> to drop out of mommy mode. Yes. Right. And and that's the thing that you have to understand. you got to give her that space. You have to create that space or her partners have to create that space for the mom. And it it's just hard finding that balance because maybe he had a shitty day at work too. You know what I mean? And maybe he's tired and maybe for him, um, he, he just wants to have like a good session with his wife and like, just get all, get out the whole day and whatever. But like for her, if she doesn't have spontaneous desire, which a lot of women don't, right. you have to like, what have you been doing throughout the day, throughout the week to help her drop out of mommy mode into sexy wifey mode? What are you doing to clear her plate so that she has the mental capacity to feel like, oh, I I might actually have a little bit of, maybe we do want to have some sexy time tonight. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and it's, again, none of this stuff is, um, maybe we should write a book. We yeah. haven't had a book. <laughs> I haven't yes. a book yet. So maybe we need to write one. But, um, but again, you have, you pop on a baby. And even if you end up with like third degree tear or something, you know, yeah. and you've got horrible hemorrhoids and your nipples are all raw from breastfeeding, you're going to see your doctor one time. Like, oh, looks like everything's good. And here they don't you even, go. They don't even check you. Like sometimes yeah. they don't even look. They'll, they'll oh, ask you. Yeah. Well, but they won't look. Yeah. And my sister-in-law, third degree tear during COVID oh. and her visit was virtual oh. and they just had a conversation with her and cleared her for sex. And I'm like... It's it's a little bit more involved in that, which is why I tell people all the time. I'm like, hey, home birth, out of hospital birth, isn't for everyone, and I get that. But there are midwives who you will provide you postpartum care. Yeah. So if you want to have your doctor give birth in a hospital, that's where you feel safe. That's fine. But if you want more than just one, like ten or fifteen minute, six week, you know, post birth checkup talk with a, a home birth midwife mm-hmm. and, and do that, you yeah. know what I mean? Because they're going to see you more often and, and they're just going to take better care of you. But it's, it's really sad. The the state of like, um, Healthcare. well, just women's women's, I was going to say <laughs> around birth, but just in general, like kind of sucks for us vagina owners, but, but that's why we do what we do. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why you're so passionate about what you do. That's why I'm so passionate about what I do because we've got to, we have to start somewhere, right? We've got to do something because it, it can be better. We know that we look at other countries and see how it's better in other countries. And exactly. So exactly. Taking a quick break from our conversation to share with you one of my all time favorite tools, crystal wands and yoni eggs from wands with two A's. If you're wanting to connect to your body, your pleasure, unravel and process your life, these beautifully shaped wands and eggs are going to help you get there. I think of them as an extension of my own hand brought from the earth for my healing rituals that have helped me invite so much goodness into my life. To get yours, head over to the link in the show notes and use the code BEINGBETTER in all caps for 15% off your purchase. And if you're like, okay, I'm in, or you already have tools like these and don't know what to do with them, head over to my Wands and Yoni Eggs 101 courses for a full rundown and guided practice to get you started on developing these special rituals for yourself. And now back to the episode. That was a lot. I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. I'm just like, ooh, where, where even to go next? Because that was just so... 
that was a lot of the things that I think a lot of women, a lot of birthers go through mm-hmm. and they don't know necessarily where to continue support. And right. I think that's where like the lactation at home consultants are amazing. Like mm-hmm. the stuff that you do, the, even the placenta encapsulation, yeah. the pelvic uh, PT that they mm-hmm. can do the energy healing that we can do. Yeah. And, and people, um, don't understand just how amazing and transformative, like just that can be, but, you know, yeah. I think anyone who does kind of the work that we do, we know women, that's what we hold it. It's in our womb space. You know, I've worked with women who I, I, I'm not even like directly touching them. I've had women, like I have them touch their womb space and I might hover my hands over them or maybe lay them on top of them. And they have this big, huge release, Totally. you know, which is another thing kind of going back. Sorry. And no, um, everything cycles cycles around um but you know kind of going back to like sex and stuff in new parenthood and that's another thing that like dads need to understand is that their partner's nakedness has to be a safe space you Mm. know what I mean um because I have some moms who are like yeah I just like my he loves me he's super attracted to me like I don't even want to change in front of him because then he just wants it to lead to sexy time and you know I tell the dads if her nakedness can't be safe in front of you then she's gonna she's going to start changing only in the bathroom or changing in the closet or something like that. So, you know, we have to, um, sexy, sexy time doesn't always mean penis and vagina time. And that's the thing that a lot of people have to understand too. Maybe like I have the energy to like make out or kind of like, you know, like rub, rub my back, fucking rub my back without touching my like ass or my tits. That would be great. Which Hugo, like Hugo's gotten <laughs> so much better at that, but I had to have a conversation with, I, I had to tell him too, cause he's so sweet and physical touches his love language. And like, if I ask him, like he will totally rub me, even if he's like dog tired. I'm like, but I've told him like, yes, like okay, my shoulders hurting. So I just want you to rub my shoulders. Like, I don't want you to try to touch my boobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. But again, it all comes down to like communication and So, but if you can, if her nakedness can be safe and if you can respect that, then she's going to be more likely to be vulnerable and to be open with you. So maybe next time it does lead to sexy time. But I think too, like a lot of people would get more kind of like sexy time action if more people were okay with sexy time, not always being penis and vagina time. Agreed. Agreed. I had um, a sex coach who she was a pelvic PT as well um, on the podcast, uh, episode three, I believe, if my memory serves. Um, And that's something we talked about, right? was just like, if the expectation wasn't always penis and vagina sex or Mm -hmm. penetration, Mm -hmm. like I think there is more chance of the penetration potentially happening because you're taking all this other time. And like you were mentioning before too, just what have you done throughout the day to take all this stuff off of her plate Mm -hmm. just so that she can actually drop into the sensations and the feelings and Mm -hmm. the yeah the availability and the space to to be sensual to be intimate which doesn't again always equate to sex but it could be like a a cuddle it could be a head scratch it could be a massage a foot rub like draw me a bath um let me read my book yeah (laughs) yeah and again like sexy time can be so many different things but again um what's really funny is again kind of what you were saying like like so many times like the expectation is penis and vagina it is penetration um have you ever asked your partner like what he like how he would feel if every time you were having sex he was the one being penetrated have you ever asked him that 
No, but since I'm about to be going through a lot of like rectile or yeah. Oh, he's gonna be your practice. Rectile and, <laughs> and penile training. Yeah, he's um reluctantly maybe volunteered. We'll see. Oh, but funny. Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great question. I saw it somewhere, I don't know, Facebook, Instagram, something like that, where a woman had asked her male partner. And so I asked Hugo that. And it was really funny because he was like, Oh my God, like I have to think about that. And he did. He like thought about it for a minute. And it was really funny because he, the word that he used was vulnerable. Huh. And I'm like, yeah. So like, like, does that like kind of help you understand like the headspace that I need to get into for sexy time? You know what I mean? It's not just a, I absolutely hate, I loathe with everything in me, sex scenes and movies and TV. Uh, I'm like, okay, he comes in, gives her this look and then it's straight to penetration. And I'm like, ow, no part of that looks sexy to me. That looks painful. Like I'm literally clenching my thighs. It's awful. And, um, but that's, you know, that we have this weird idea and and Hugo's really good. Like he knows that I need more and, you know, it, it takes me longer. Um, once I'm in the proper headspace, like I'm fine. Like once I'm there, it just takes me forever to get in the right headspace. And that could be like, even if it's like, ovulation time when everything is so nice and and everything is feeling good and and we've been like sending texts all day like when he comes home it's still not going to be like straight to the bedroom and straight to penetration like I still need to drop in to my body maybe maybe that's what it is I need to drop into my body and out of my head I think is exactly what it is and and again that's but that's not just my job like I'm not that's not going to happen just on my own just by me so that's something that we have to do together and as lame as it sounds it does start with him doing dishes no I'm and I'm all about laundry. that <laughs> I am all about that like it is so it's so sexy to me if James is prepping dinner by the time I get home yeah and he doesn't even ask me like doesn't ask me just takes my plate when I'm done and just starts doing the dishes and just starts to clean up and like lets me sit on the couch and even if I'm not doing anything super important or have anything other other things to do you know it's just like wow like you can actually take on some of this responsibility without me having to ask like it's not this isn't just my house bro like (laughs) you know what I mean yeah no I get it and um the no Hugo's the same way so he um, and to be fair, I'm really picky. I, I love to cook. I'm really picky when it comes to cooking. I like to cook from scratch. I like things fresh. I like, I'm just picky when it comes to dinner. So that's not his thing. He's not, he's not going to make me dinner and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But what he's been doing, and we've been doing this for a couple months. So he, his schedule, he works Tuesday through Saturday right now, which I thought I was going to hate, but I absolutely love it. Hey. But like Sundays and Mondays, he gets up before me and he gets the coffee going before I'm out of bed. Like I, I wake up and coffee's done or I wake up to him coming in and he'll be so sweet. And then I go out and I sit at the counter and the, the, our kitchen counter and he'll make me breakfast and he makes my plate and he does the dishes. And it's like, so for you, it's dinner. For me, it's breakfast on, on Sundays and Mondays. And it is just those little things um, because you know, studies show that the mental load is on the woman. Right. No, the planning. Like, I feel like that's where maybe that's the trade-off too, is like, I'm the one that likes, because I'm picky too, especially with cycle syncing and trying to eat um, as best as I can for my cycle. It's like, I have the recipes or I have the knowing what I'm craving and knowing what I need to be eating. So like, I have kind of like 
the mental planning mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. R- responsibility and then he can be like the executor yeah and it doesn't need to be like perfect perfect but yeah like for sure it would be if I did it yeah <laughs> just kidding but um yeah like he can be the executor but yeah a lot of that load it's the um invisible yeah. labor yeah. that we as women do yeah yeah and it's not I don't think um I think it just happens. You know what I mean? Like I love my husband and he's, he's, I've been so, Oh my God, I could not be married to anybody else. I literally couldn't. He's always been super sweet. He's, um, he adores me. He's such a good dad. He's always been super hands-on. He always woke up in the middle of the night to help me with the kids and, Mm -hmm. and do all that stuff. So it's not like he's like, like, well, I'm just going to go to work and I'm not going to do anything else. It's just like, you know, I was a stay at home mom for a long time for most of my kids. You know, I didn't work until Bella was, until my youngest was like three, you know, and even then I only worked while they were in school. So like, I, I, you know, I, I dropped them off. I did all that stuff and it just kind of like, kind of like fell into that pattern. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's the thing too, like with couples, I feel like the communication is constant. It's constant, right? Because like what's working now, like in any relationship, what's working for you guys today might be great and it might be working really well. But when you have a kid, it's going to shift and it's going to be different. When you have two kids, it's going to shift and it's going to be different. Or when your schedules change, or what if you have like a parent that's sick and now you're taking care of them, whatever it is, like our lives are always changing. And so we have to be willing to have those hard conversations with our partner and say, Hey, like, I love you. And I know you love me. And that's why we need to have this conversation of what's been working is no longer working. So how can we move forward so that we're both happy? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you saying that, like where your life is just going to change after the one kid, after the second kid and so on. Um, it's like interesting that I think there's a phenomenon, um, and I think it, it happens with dog owners too, but mm-hmm. I digress. Let's, let's keep it on children. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about dogs cause I might fill out a foster allegation, <laughs> but yeah. So like, I think there's a phenomenon where people are thinking I'm not going to let my kid change my life. Yes. But I think that's a really selfish attitude. That's just my personal opinion. I, yeah. Go ahead. No. Yeah. I, I didn't think, want to interrupt you. I think that's really I think you have to let the kid change your life mm-hmm. because they will yeah. like without you trying and you're going to keep resisting it potentially. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you're like fighting the process. Yeah. You fight the process. Exactly. It's so funny. Cause I just listened to this podcast with Dr. Sarah Buckley. Um, I don't remember what episode is, but it's, it's Dr. Sarah Buckley. It's on the birthful podcast mm-hmm. and she's talking about the body's your your own natural flow of hormones during birth Mm -hmm. and I can't remember the details of it but she's talking about how basically there's like this chemical thing that happens and there's a shift um in the brain which actually helps moms in new motherhood and how having an epidural can interrupt that and so um it may be more difficult for a mom to that was it an epidural it was an epidural or it was um um, Pitocin. It was one of those two. I don't want to be quoting wrong, like check out the podcast and you can listen to it. But anyways, like how, when we, we do these like artificial things during labor, it can interrupt the natural process that's happening in the brain. That's going to help the mom better cope with new, um, parenthood. And it's not like, it's not like you can't ever, you can't fix that. Like you can through like a close physical contact, skin to skin, breastfeeding and everything like that. It's just going to take longer for the mom's brain to go through that change. So it's, it's really interesting kind of like what you were saying, like, like we consciously sometimes are like, we don't want to let the baby affect us. So it's like, it's, 
want to or not, it's going to, mm-hmm. because it, it can't not, your sleep is now going to be interrupted. And you have this baby who is completely dependent on you, right? Like, cause in a partnership, you're dependent on your partner, like to a certain extent. Right. Um, but like, you literally have a baby that like, they can't do anything. Like if you don't take care of your baby, bad things are going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And so you can't that there's no way for that to not affect you. And so we kind of talk about that in the birth class. And, and mm-hmm. I, I think that Hugo does a really good job of explaining it because I didn't, I didn't put myself in his shoes. Like I just didn't think about parenthood, like from his perspective and so it it was really interesting to hear him talk about how like it's so hard in the beginning for dads because um he just really felt um like kind of not ignored but I can't think of another word mm. it's kind of like you know during the pregnancy all the focus is on the mom and then the baby comes and all the focus is on the baby and even the mom's focus is on the baby so it's kind of like he's like great so now like I have to do more of the housework and I have to do all this stuff because physically mom can't right now mm-hmm. and you know people are coming over to help but they're helping her or they're helping the baby and so like what about me mm-hmm. and so we talk about that because you know dads get post or partners get postpartum depression too it's not just for um, the mom that has given birth, you know, and, and so there's just these, these shifts, but again, it comes back to understanding that if you need help from a professional, either physically or mentally, that doesn't mean that somehow you've failed, right? Nobody's like, Hey, you know what I'd like is a really broken pussy after I give birth and some postpartum anxiety. Like, where can I sign up for those things? Nobody wants that. They just are something that can happen. Mm -hmm. And so if I am having painful sex after I give birth, like it's, it's not that my body has failed me and now I have to see a professional. It's just, Hey, this is what it is. And I know Brittany can help me with that or, um, struggling mentally. Like we have doctors who can help with that. We have medications that can help with that. And, but being open to talk about that. And again, it's like, you can't always plan for the way things that are, are the way things are going to change. But if we can take off the stigma mm-hmm. of what needing help means, I think that would be a amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd be amazing because it's, um, it's there, it's available, but it's like, a dirty little secret to need help for some reason. Totally. No, I think the um internal pressure that we put on ourselves, yeah. it's not even maybe it is a little uh um external for sure. Obviously. Yeah, like yeah. our system is not set up for our care. It's not set um, up for our success necessarily. But it is that internal pressure. And whether that comes from social media or elsewhere, um, maybe like storylines in your family or something mm-hmm. like that. I think it is interesting that it's it is difficult for people to ask for help or admit that they have yeah. that they need it yeah. and then to get it mm-hmm. you know it is a vulnerable place to be like we've yeah. talked about and um yet we are so deserving yeah and that's the thing though like I think because for me I was such a young mom and my mom was a young mom and she, you know my mom had five kids I had four kids and um it was like this just in more of like an internal drive to like prove to people that I was a good mom I wasn't mm-hmm. like irresponsible and just having all these babies and so yeah it's a little bit external it's a little bit internal and but yeah that's why I think it's really important again like I love that you have a podcast like have all the different people on to help because that's the thing we just have to get the help is there it's there you know and um you have different practitioners of all different price points like to help everybody and so that's 
I don't know. I just want people to know that there is help. And that's why I tell people all the time, like, ask me for referrals, mm-hmm. ask me for referrals. Like I'm going to save you the headache of, of trying to just pick someone off the internet, Oh yeah, you know? And, um, if that's hard, you know, like, if, especially like, think about it, like if you're overwhelmed and you don't even know where to start and then you Google something and, and you get like 50 options, then, you know, we don't talk about that either to, is that, um, Oh, now there's so much on my plate that I can't do anything. Right. I can't think of what that's called. Analysis paralysis. Yes. Analysis paralysis. Thank you. (laughs) So, but yeah, I think people should know if, yeah, say we're not the right fit for them. It's like, you should know that we are so connected in the birth work world. It is such a small community when you think about it. Um, a lot of us know each other. (laughs) So the referral network is literally at your fingertips. Yeah. And it's like, I, I just love people. It drives my daughter nuts. My oldest daughter. She's like, I hate that you like love everybody. Cause (laughs) it it was so sweet. And this came, she was young when she said this, I think she was like 12 or 13, she goes, but you know, like you tell our friends that you love them and you tell me that you love me. Like that's Um, not, doesn't seem fair. And I'm like, it sucks because there's only one word, but you know, my, my, my wanting to help you comes from a place of love. Like as a human, as a woman, I love you and I want to do what I can to help you. So if I'm not the right person, if my classes aren't the right fit for you, that is okay. I, I still like, what referrals do you need? And I will give them to you so that you can move forward with those people that you feel safe with, you feel connected to. And I know that you're going to get good support because I'm going to refer you to people that I know. Mm-hmm. And just because I know them doesn't mean that they're the same, right? Because some people think like, um, you know, like you have people that, that, teach hypnobirthing, right? Mm -hmm. Hypnobirthing, which is more focused on, um, not the people who teach it, but the, the methodology is more focused on having an unmedicated birth, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to support you if you have an epidural or, you know, whatever. So it's like, just because someone teaches that or, or whatever, like, just because like this person is similar to me, like, doesn't mean we're exactly the same. And, and so I'm not just going to refer you to someone who's exactly the same as me. I'm going to, you know, whatever you've said to me, I'm going to refer you to someone as like, oh, I think Brittany would be a good fit for them. Or I think Ellie would be a good fit or like whoever, like I'm going to, I'm going to refer yeah. um, because I just, I just want women to feel supported. I just want them to have what they need so that when they are done with their pregnancy, they're done with their birth and they're emerging out of motherhood, they are like, I can do anything. I have grown a human and birthed a human and I feel stronger and I feel empowered and I feel healed. That's another thing that people don't understand. Birth can be really healing. I've worked with um, a couple of women who have um, sexual assault history and um, one woman in particular, she wanted to have a home birth and her family was kind of against it because they're like, oh, you can't do that. You're so weak. Like you're, you need medication. And she was basically like, fuck you. And she had it. And oh, what yeah. she told me was that she said, this is the first time in years that I have felt like my body was my own. I do not like, yeah. yeah, yeah, seriously, because that's, that's what it is. And we have too many women coming out of birth, um, feeling traumatized, too many women walking around in motherhood feeling alone. Yeah. I think birth is a huge opportunity for that reclamation, like for your client. And I also feel like every single period that you have can be a reclamation, you know what I mean? 
it's yeah it can be on this like whatever quote-unquote small or quote-unquote big scale no it's all is, is big it's a big <laughs> I love <Yes>. periods <laughs> Thank I you. love it I talk about it like all the time but again it's like how can you be a woman and not talk about it but that's yeah. the thing you know and and in the same way that our society is like, great, you had a baby, like you shouldn't look like it. And ooh, gross. I don't want to hear about it. And I definitely don't want to see you breastfeeding in the same sense. We have that towards menstruation. Ew, gross. Don't tell me it's your heavy day. Like, I don't want to know that. Like in all this, like discreet packaging for menstrual products, I don't care. So I use, (laughs) I use pads. I have a really, um, low cervix. So I've tried a bajillion different internal products. They don't work. So I use pads. I don't care. I'm gonna rip that nice ass sticker off in the bathroom because I don't care. I have no shame with my cycle. (laughs) I love my cycle and I am purposely like, I tell my girls too, like, I hate that with girls sports, like they shouldn't be out there doing what they do on their heavy day of their period. Like you are not going to catch my ass at the gym on my second day of my period. It's not happening. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be on my couch taking a four hour nap. Like I was the other day. And that's the thing we have to honor our body. We have to honor our cycle. And I'm like, guys aren't like why they joke about it. They talk, they openly will talk about ball sweat and shitting. And there's no stigma associated with that. They can talk about their, their bowel movements and it's nothing, but like we talk about bleeding and all of a sudden we're gross and dirty and disgusting. And not all, not all people are like that, but, but I think just generally speaking, a lot of people, it's like this big stigma. Like, I don't want anyone to know, girl, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to talk about it and I don't even care. And, you know, but that's also why like my house, when the kids were younger, when they were still like in high school and stuff, their friends would come and they would ask me things because you know, they can't, they don't have anybody they can talk about, which is so sad. Like mm-hmm. you should be able to talk about your period. It's it's happening every month. It should be happening. Ladies, if you're not having your cycle every month, you gotta get help for that. That's the thing I tell people all the time. Cause I deal with a lot of, um, like I get a lot of questions from my kids' friends and stuff. And, and so many of them are like, oh yeah, like I have an irregular cycle, but it's actually great. Cause I only like bleed like four times a year. And I tell them all the time, a healthy body is a menstruating body. You're having your menstrual cycle every month is your body's way of letting you know you're healthy. So if you're not having your cycle every month, you need to pause and look and go, oh, oh, what's up? Like, what is my body telling me? Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. Oh like, my gosh. It's it is a the, whole nother episode. It, yeah, exactly. We'll have to have you back for season two. Yeah. About <laughs> menstruation because I mean, no, it's seriously, it's so it's so incredible. And then we can always talk about like fertility when it comes to all of that yeah, as well yeah. and how interesting that is and um how connected all that is. But it's so funny because I'm thinking um how yesterday in the shower I literally took out my disc. I put in uh-huh. a disc instead of a cup this this time and um James saw my blood and um well, I was like, I, I asked him that I was like, not that it grossed you out, but I was like, was that overwhelming for you? Like, did that seem like a lot of blood? And he was like, well, kind of. And I was like, well, get used to it, buddy, because I'm trying to have like a birth and have you be there, you know, yeah. one day. And he's always talking about us having a kid, not anytime soon, but you know, oh, I'm like, I'm I know really <laughs> like, seriously would love it in like a, a year and a half or so, but um, yes, thank you. Mark your calendar. Um, but yeah, I'm just like, let's prep you for this. Like, this yeah. isn't, it isn't dirty. It no. isn't like bad. I'm not in like a, you know, a ton of pain. It's yeah. of course, sometimes uncomfortable and yeah. a little, little inconvenient here and there, but it it's, I think such a beautiful process yeah. and like, what a beautiful thing that I can see exactly how healthy I am yeah. each month. Yeah. Well, and I, I think too, and this again is a whole nother, uh, 
episode, but like it's, we do our girls such a disservice by not teaching them about their menstrual menstrual cycle and like charting it and everything like that. And that's something that I've been talking to my girls about forever, but like my boys aren't, um, they've never been like embarrassed about it. Cause we just, we, we talk about it, you know, like it. it's, it's super normal. And my boys like talk about it with their girlfriends and their female friends and, and whatever, because it is, it's again, like nobody thinks twice about like, um, talking about like urination or defecation or anything like that. Or, like, you know, I mean, you have people that might be like, oh, like I had the flu and I was throwing up nonstop or, mm-hmm. you know, I had the flu and I was like shitting my brains out. Like nobody like bats an eye at that because again, it's normal bodily function, but so is menstruation. Totally. And it's, again, it's like, yeah, you, need <laughs> you, a, you need a healthy cycle to have a fertile body to make the babies. It's all, yeah. it's all normal. And to me, I know at points, especially my oldest daughter, she like gets embarrassed, but I'm like, Mia, like we have to talk about this. Uh, Show her my TEDx talk, dude. You know what? I don't know if I, I don't know if I showed it to her, but I will. will. I'm going to do that today. (laughs) But she's fine now. She's, she's in her twenties now. And I think now she sees like, you know, when she went to college her um, uh, when she went to university and she, it was her first time having like roommates and living away from home. She was just shocked at like the way her roommates dealt with things and she's like mom they just like take a pill for like everything like you know they thought something was wrong with me because I was like oh I have a little bit of headache I just I haven't had enough water today so I'm gonna you know fill up my water bottle and I'm gonna go like lay down and and just like normal things you know we have yeah. to to understand what all of these things are telling us and again like having a menstrual cycle isn't telling us that anything's wrong it's the exact opposite right. your hormones are working everything is functioning properly you know your body weight is good mm-hmm. um all that stuff so you know what's so interesting is I was thinking about like having boys or maybe someone identifies as being like a boy mom right or boy dad and I've been with like a lot of clients who yeah. say that it was like their boyfriends or their husbands who were the ones like advocating for them to go get this thing checked out because they knew that something wasn't normal or was mm-hmm. off potentially. Yeah. And I'm like, I think that's, yes, we have to service our our girls and teach them from a very young age to have an appreciation for it and all that. And I, I love what you've been doing with your boys too. Yeah. And like having them be comfortable talking about it, not just with their mom, but with their partners. I think that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, so important. It's, it's a normal part of, of life. You know, if you're with a woman, if you know what I mean? If you're going to be partnered with a woman, like you're going to have to deal with menstruation, but it's just, um, all these things, I feel like menstruation, sex, sexuality, breastfeeding, birth, all that stuff. We, we, I, to me, I feel like just talking about it in normal everyday conversations like I would talk about eating breakfast or or doing yoga or whatever you know what I mean that's how we make it normal like I don't I don't know I don't I just don't have any shame around it but I you know had to work on that that was like a conscious effort and and I didn't want my kids same with you know people don't realize you've got to start talking to your talking about sex with your kids early and it's not like you're bringing it up it's just you know they're going to come to you with questions and you've got to keep it very like um I'm trying to think of an example you know like my son he was like I don't know like 11 or 12 and he asked me like hey mom what's a condom Mm -hmm. you know what I mean 
and you can't jump to like, oh my God, where'd you hear that word? Why are you talking about that? Like, who told you that? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, like a condom is something that, you know, people use when they're going to have sex and when they want to be protected from, you know, sicknesses that you can only get by having sex. And, and, and it can also, you know, um, help prevent you from being pregnant. That's literally how the conversation, oh, cool. Thanks. You know what I mean? And it's just, but we've got to start talking about it early so that we talk about it the same way we would talk about anything else. Yeah. Um, and it's really empowering. It's really empowering. And that's the thing, like there shouldn't be stigma around again, menstruation or sex. Even I don't think there, there should be any, or, or kind of what we were talking about before we started recording, like our vulvas, like we shouldn't have shame around our bodies. And I remember having a conversation with my husband because the difference between having daughters and having sons is that your sons, they go through puberty and whatever. And it's like, Oh, like your legs are like, your legs and arms are hairier and you have like a mustache and like whatever. But and but that's not like really sexualized on boys, right? But right. now you it's like, oh crap, now you don't look like a little girl anymore. You have hips and my girls are Latina and they have asses that would make J Lo jealous. And no, I'm not joking, girl. And you know, like getting boobs and everything like that. And you know, having to have a conversation with my husband around, hey, like they're in high school and they're wearing bikinis and like we're not like shaming them for their body. We're not telling them to cover up. We're like, oh my God, I love your bathing suit. I'm like, you can die inside. You can like cringe inside and be like, not my baby girl, but we're not going to vocalize that because we want them to walk around proud and, and, you know, just feeling good. And and that's the thing, right? Like we don't, we're not telling our boys like, oh, Hey, you really should keep your shirt on at the beach because now that you're like a teenager, people are going to be, you know, the girls, they really like to look at you. We don't, we don't do that. We just do it to the girls. So, right. And isn't that interesting though, too? It's like, I mean, from that sexual assault perspective, a lot of the times people might even think that it's blame, it's blaming us for what we're wearing and everything, but yeah. no, I think that when you do what you and Hugo are doing, where you're empowering your girls just to be in their bodies fully, that's an energy that people don't fuck with. Yeah, no. When you feel confident and, you know, at least, or at least backed up and supported by your parents, that's yeah. an energy that people don't really mess with anyways. Yeah. No, yes. people wouldn't mess with my daughter. I love it. I love it. She, uh, you know, I always said that I wanted daughters with strong personalities. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> um, it's it's hard to raise daughters with strong personalities, um, you know, but I, I, that's one of the things that I love about it. You know, Lily is she's a big woman. She's like five, nine. She is a big woman and she has a big energy and like, she's going to make her presence known. And, and, and that's how it should be. Right. Like nobody, nobody wants my son to minimize himself. He's Mm -hmm. six two and he's got a huge personality and nobody's like, you know, telling him to like make himself smaller or be quieter or like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't you know, uh, leave your shirt so unbuttoned because I don't know, it's like a style now, but like have it a little bit more unbuttoned. Nobody does that. Everyone's like, oh man, like he's so handsome. He's so charming. And, and all this positivity, you know, towards all these traits that my son can, can have that a lot of times are looked at as being a negative trait in a woman. Right. And, um, so I just try to do my best to love them where they're at and keep them encouraged and, you know, I do my best to try to, um, you know, sex is a a very normal part of any adult, like healthy adults life. And so I've had three rules for sex that I've always given my kids. Sex needs to be consensual. It's rule number one. Yeah. Safe. Rule number two. Pleasurable. Rule number three. So. Epic. Yeah. 
And that's, I've literally been telling them that since they were like little, probably like middle school. I love it. So that's the thing, because again, like everything all ties together. It's weird. We, we like, I don't want to talk to about my, talk about sex with my kids, but I'm like, if you're not talking about it, then they're going to do it anyways. Kids, people, people are going to have sex anyway. So why wouldn't you empower them to make smart choices to protect their physical body and to protect their emotional, um, well-being because, you know, sex is emotional too and, and all that stuff. So again, it's all this stuff is, is tied in and it all comes down to education. You know what I mean? Educating them about their cycle, educating them about, um, safe sex and pleasurable sex. And, um, and I know some people are like, that sounds really weird. Why would you talk to your kids about that? Well, cause I want my kids to be married adults having pleasurable sex because I want everybody to be having pleasurable sex. <laughs> so, you know, but, and then, but teaching them now and teaching them how to not have that shame associated with it. So when they are adults now, they feel very confident saying, um, like during sexy time, this is what's okay. This is what's not okay. This is what feels good. This is what I like. This is what I don't like in their relationship for emotional stuff. No, you will not talk to me like that, or this is not what's acceptable. Um, and all that is going to carry over into advocating for yourself. If you're having menstrual health problems or like, I mean, cause it's ridiculous. It takes something like 10 years on average for a woman to get diagnosed with endometriosis, mm-hmm. right? So, so teaching a woman to know about her cycle, isn't just about fertility. It's about overall health. Right. And so when you're empowering them with education about all these things from a young age, again, they're going to advocate for themselves every step of the way through puberty, through relationships, through pregnancy, through birth, through motherhood. And then again, it's just one generation that's going to bleed down. You know what I mean? You, You raise your kids, you empower your kids. They're going to empower their kids. And that is how we change our system. A fucking mess. <laughs> yeah. I think that was a freaking mic drop. Like I, I get I get those every once in a while. And I think you're getting chills. I, <laughs> I, I can see your chills. I could talk about this all day. It's this is it's no, I think it's super important. I can't think of, of anything else that's more important. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because it, it it impacts so much of who we are. It, it impacts our ad- adult life. Yeah. I mean you know? from from birth. Through death, yeah, you know, right. it is all, like you said, it's all connected and it can all start with an unshaming and education that's just forthcoming and available. And you're doing that. I'm trying. I'm trying my we, best. We are doing that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I just think it's crazy kind of how you said from, from birth through death, right? Like it's really funny how, how people can have this idea of like, yeah, like sex should feel good. And um, and death, right? Like we do everything we can to make sure that that people who are passing that they go peacefully and they go easily. But we still, as a society, have a hard time imagining a woman bringing forth a baby not in pain, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Why? Why? It can be orgasmic. It can. I and I have witnessed it. Like I have, I have been at births that literally. And it, it's those births that are just like amazing where you're like, yes, this is why I do what I do because I need more women, more couples to experience this kind of birth. Right. Like, yeah. and I feel like, you know, since I gave birth to my kids, you know, 20 years ago, like late, late nineties, uh, my first son was born in 99 and then the early two thousands, like there's definitely like been a shift in the way that that birth is being done in hospitals and, um, and stuff, but there's still room for improvement, especially for, especially for, um, 
women of color. Mm. You know, that's a whole yeah. other. That's a whole whole podcast, and I am not the one to be talking on that. But it's okay. you know, yeah. But yeah, I know so. you're absolutely right, and <sighs> yeah, yeah, we're we're doing the thing. Yeah. You're doing the thing. I'm trying. Yeah, and I'm I I just love you. I've been referring people to you for like ever because same the um. I don't know, like every, everyone that I've ever referred to you, they're, oh my God, thank you so much for sending me to Brittany. She's amazing. That's what, again, coming back to that, like safety, like, I, I feel like you do what you do with like ease and grace and just, it's just an energy of like, yes, I can, I can melt into this woman's table and <laughs> I can, I can be, and I can heal. Yeah. Thank so, you. Thank you. I, I send you all the people too, Good. you know? good I, I think it. you're doing incredible work even if it's just for the childbirth education which you heard it here first she recommends that right off the I bat do. over yeah. anything yes you know but yeah even for yeah the doula care and all the other amazing gifts that you have to offer I'm so excited for you to continue to do what you're doing and support our community because it like like you've heard it here it's so needed yeah so yeah thank you for everything you yeah. do thanks for having me Thanks for listening and putting your finger on the Pelvic Pulse podcast. I'm Brittany Ellers. The music for this podcast was created by Justek. Please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts by hitting the subscribe button and share it with your loved ones if you found the episode helpful. If you haven't checked out my free womb medicine meditations or phasic community, click the link in the show notes. The meditations and community boards are the perfect place to begin or broaden your connection to your pelvic health, no matter what stage in life you're in. I'd be honored to support you along your journey.